0: Welcome to Earl Thomas podcast. Today we're gonna talk about what I call as the real estate fever. It's uh, It can be a death sentence to anyone that's, that's getting in the business and even those that, that have been in the business for a little while. Now, let me explain a little bit about what, what I call the fever, what that actually is. When you get in to real estate you see the promises of a lot of money, comfortable lifestyle, those kind of things. So, what a lot of people wind up doing is they get caught up in that moment instead of actually realizing there's a bigger picture involved in it. So, every deal that they come across is a must have. And what that does is puts them in a bad situation. That's when You start getting a bad reputation of putting things under contract that you can't close. Sellers start giving you negative reviews online. And in general, you get a bad reputation, whether it be sellers, buyers, people in the industry that are there that could potentially partner with you on certain deals. Um, So what I always try to remember is, number one, is you don't force this business. You don't force a deal, you don't force a seller to agree to a price, you don't force a buyer to say, hey, this is a good deal, why are you not getting it? Those kind of things are going to wind up being annoying to everyone involved. So, for example, yesterday I had a I had a deal. The seller's real patient, he's a local investor. Um, I thought I had the property under contract for What is a good amount? Now, I've been in this business long enough to where I can actually go buy it if I need to. But the buyer that I sent it to, sometimes they're in a good mood. Sometimes they're not. That's the nature of of real estate. You can't actually sit there and say, why are you not buying this? This is a good price. It's their money. They decide what they want to do with it. So yesterday, when when I basically hear that their offer completely cut the profit out of the deal. I I, I thought to myself, you know, that's kind of harsh. And I just replied back to them. I said, you know, that's that's harsh. And I put a emoji with my hand over my face, um, you know, thinking. And they just kind of laughed and they're like, sorry, man. Um, and that's how you have to treat your buyers, because it's a good relationship. Now, what wound up happening is, is about an hour after this tax exchange went went on I had another seller that uh, had already renovated a property was about to get it rented those kind of things but they wanted to sell this property so that they could go develop some land somewhere else so they were just freeing up some cash and what wound up happening is is this this property is actually double the profit that I would have made on the other deal with this buyer so I'm not saying this happens every single time, but if you don't force the situation, it's a lot like karma. It will come back and find you. If you run into a seller that says, you know, let me think about it, you know, that's fine. Let them think about it because what's gonna wind up happening is is they're gonna think about it. They're gonna call another home buyer, we buy houses, whoever it may be, and they're gonna constantly get these low offers. But if you give them the respect, without forcing them and show that you're professional in this, but you keep in contact with them, you know, hey, I'm just checking with you to see if, you know, if anything has changed or you're sending them an email, just some kind of non-intrusive way you're building a rapport a relationship with relationship with this seller, the next thing you know, when they get tired of getting all these low offers, when yours was similar to it, because you took the time to say i'm not going to force you to sell your house if you want to think about it this is your house you do what you what is best for you on it then nine times out of ten they're going to come back to you as long as you're keeping in contact with them but you have to keep in contact with them because they're going to wind up talking to all these different people and they're not necessarily going to remember who is which you know okay I went and met with John the other day. John was real nice. I would prefer selling my house to him, but I don't remember how to get in touch with John. So that's where your follow up becomes very, very important. And the way that you follow up is just as important. I've closed deals to where I've sent them automated emails for over a year and never get a response back to them, anything like that. Then all of a sudden they show up and say, yes, I I still want to sell my house. You call them you know, hey, are you you considering what I offered before? Well, I don't remember what you offered before. And then you tell them and say, okay, yes, because by then they're ready. So a lot of times you have to remember that when someone initially contacts you, they just may be in the information gathering stage. A lot of these homeowners don't know the process of selling a house. Investors do, but homeowners a lot of times don't understand how it works. So you sit there and you explain it to them, you tell them how it works, those kind of things. But your word has to be followed through because if it's not, again, that's going to damage your reputation between buyers, sellers, and everyone in this business. Because if you sit there, and what I see a lot of people do is they'll send a property out that they don't even have under contract. Your buyer says, hey, I'll buy it. Next thing you know, you can't actually get control of the deal because this homeowner has decided either not to sell it or they are under contract with someone else. So you just lost that deal because you thought you had it under control, but you didn't have the paperwork involved to actually have it in under control. Then your reputation starts suffering because this buyer has wasted enough time going out and visited the house, looked at it, worked their numbers in, in their office, those kind of things. And then now they can't even get it. So the next time you send them a deal, they're going to, in the back of their mind, think, do they have it under contract? And you're going to start getting asked every single time, do you have it under contract? When do you have to close by? Those kind of, what do you have it under contract for? So you're going to actually suffer in the long run if you rush into all of these deals without actually slowing down, staying calm, not acting desperate, those kind of things. Because when you act desperate, you put yourself in a in a in a bad position because you lose your leverage of negotiating. So if you go, and that's with a seller or a buyer, when you go to a seller and you're acting desperate, they can read that. They know that. So if you sit there and say, I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars for your house, next thing you know, you're under contract for a hundred and twenty thousand. But that mentality, the way that you approached it, was the difference in that twenty thousand dollars and at the end of the day that could be the difference of you actually being able to close that deal with a buyer instead of rushing it forcing it and going in and now you don't even have a deal you put it under contract for too much that's going to wind up costing you in the end because you spent money on marketing whether it be signs online facebook ads whatever you whatever you were doing you spent money, and now you have nothing to show for it because you were desperate. You rushed the situation instead of sitting back, acting cool about it, and letting the seller come to you in some in some respects. Then when you turn around and you try to sell it to your buyer, you have to sit there and go, okay, well, if you don't want it, you know that's fine. I've got other people. You don't necessarily tell a buyer that because a lot of these buyers want to be the only one, but the more desperate you act the more, the more money that you wind up losing on every single deal so what so what I always suggest to people is that you just you keep it simple you stay calm not every deal is a deal you may think it's a deal but a buyer may not so if a buyer doesn't think it's a deal then there's nothing you can do about it unless you buy it yourself and try to sell it down the road somewhere so when you go into these in these situations the fever is what gets you in these, in these predicaments that you can't get out of a lot of times. And I know I see a lot of people out there that say, okay, well, this seller decided to back out. I'm going to go and file you know, the contract down at the courthouse to cloud the title. That's one of the worst things that you could ever do in your life. Because if, if you go down there and do that, nine times out of 10, you're exposing yourself whether it be the the attorney general of your state, the real estate commission, whoever it may be, because now you're gonna wind up with attorneys involved when the seller ever does decide to go and sell this house. So you have to make sure all of your paperwork is in order, dates are correct, signatures are signed, those kind of things. So if an attorney for the seller decides, you know what, they didn't do it right, let me go and tell the commission or let me go and tell the, the attorney general. Well, the problem with all of that is, is if you're not a licensed agent, you don't fall under the commission's jurisdiction. You fall under the the attorney general's jurisdiction. So instead of getting a slap on the wrist with the commission, now what you've done is criminal. So you could actually face a fine, jail time, those kind of things, and ruin the rest of your life because you rushed the deal. You thought every deal, I'm going to show this seller, but you didn't think long term about what you were doing. The other aspect of the fever is what I is part of the cost that's this associated with this business when someone gets in this business they're all they can see is the hope of a lot of money and to be honest with you there is a lot of money in, the, in this business if you do it the right way but what you don't see is to how to sustain this business so let's take for example just a personal cost every month and a And a very small cost to operate the business so let's say for example that you your your monthly bills for you to survive on whether that's a mortgage rent insurance car payment those kind of things let's say you spend five thousand dollars a month just on your bills not necessarily any money left over just five thousand dollars a month on your bills well let's say at the same time you have a business to run so On top of that $5,000, let's say you have another $5,000 that you have, you know, SEO, Google AdWords, cold calling, bandit signs, Facebook ads, direct mail, all of those things combined, whatever you choose that you're gonna, how you're gonna market, let's say that's another $5,000 a month because it can easily get to $5,000 a month. So if you take that, the $5,000 just to pay your bills so that you can have a roof over your head every night when you go to sleep, plus the 5000 of running a business, that's $10,000 a month that you have to make in order to keep your doors open and a roof over your head. Because if you only make 5000 a month, you can't market. You have to make a choice. You're either late on your mortgage, car payment, rent, whatever it is, just to be able to send out a mailer or just to be able to keep running Facebook or Google ads. So what you have to what you have to realize is the overall picture if you're spending five thousand a month on bills plus five thousand a month on advertising to get your deals now you're at ten thousand dollars a month, and if you look at that you know every year that's a hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year just to keep a roof over your head and to be able to keep deals coming in so when you start rushing out you start getting those deals under contract that you shouldn't get under contract, you're wasting your marketing dollars, you're putting the roof over your head at risk because now all you're doing is putting deals under contract that you can't close. So you have to figure out a way to get the deals to come in that can actually close, that you can make money and that you can keep the roof over your head, plus the doors open with the leads coming in. It's not, every month doesn't have to be the same amount. Some months you can scale it back, some months you can go, you know, more. But what what I always recommend everyone do is you almost run your business on a 30% of your income. So let's say that you need $10,000 a month to live, plus, do your marketing, and get the leads to come in. You actually need to be making around $30,000 a month if you set bills every month to keep the roof over your head plus the, the leads coming in is $10,000. So that way you have $20,000 in the bank because what's going to wind up happening is, is some months are going to be great. But some months are going to be terrible where you don't close a deal. You'll have periods to where you go three months, four months without closing a single deal. So if you're sitting there every single month with every dollar that, you've co- that comes in and you're putting it right back out, when you run up against one of those months, you're not going to be able to keep your doors open or you're not going to be able to keep the roof over your head. It's going to put you in a hole that you can't get out. Then you've got to go back. You've got to be out of the business for six months, a year, two years, whatever it may be, where you can build that money back up and start all over again so anytime you do this it's not a i can do this with no money you can do it with little money but you you have to crawl before you can walk that analogy will work every every time in every business and every aspect of life you don't go in guns blazing and say okay well here i've got twenty thousand dollars what should i spend it on do your research try to get some professionals involved as far as marketing those kind of things because one thing that you're going to do if you if you have no experience in let's say adwords or or facebook ads you're going to go out there and you're going to basically waste the money that you're spending because you have no idea what you're doing if keeping you in business is that important there are certain things that you need to outsource you're going to have to pay to outsource those so who you hire and who you work with is just as important as the deals that you wind up putting under contract. It's not a, let me go put some bandit signs up and the leads are just gonna come rushing in. That's not how it works. You're gonna get some leads, but is it gonna be enough leads to keep a roof over your head and the doors open? You have to have different avenues of marketing to be able, one person may call a a, a bandit sign, but that, that person, Another person may look at Google Ads or organic results in an SEO. Another person may be on Facebook. You have to find where you're getting your most profitable leads from and stay with it. Now, there is, as you grow, you you go through the process of saying, okay, well, for example, let me try Pinterest. Why in the world would you try Pinterest? Well, I have some extra money. I want to see if, Maybe there's something on Pinterest. There's nothing wrong with that. But after three months, if it doesn't work, stop it. Don't keep throwing money at something that's not going to work. Or because by the time you're in that three months, you should have enough data that comes back that says, okay, well, I ran this type of ad this month. The next month, I ran this type of ad. The month after that, I ran this type of ad. You're you constantly have to test the way that you're marketing because if you just throw something out there and hope it sticks all you're going to do is waste money you're not going to be profitable you're not going to stay in this business long you're going to go to all these groups on Facebook and say I have this house under contract what do I do with it now if you don't know what to do with a house once you've got it under contract you don't need to be sending out any marketing you need to learn what you're doing first then start it. that's going to protect your investment The roof over your head. But when you go through these, you've got to be able to adjust to the next trend, things like that. Maybe Instagram works. It's going to change from market to market, but you have to stay ahead of the curve because once you do that, you get ahead of it. By the time everyone else catches up with it, you've somewhat already got it mastered while everybody else is trying to figure it out. So they're wasting money while you're just making money. It's not a, okay, well, I just took this course and, you know, this mentor or this guru told me to start cold calling. These people are getting 10 calls a day because now everyone is cold calling. So what's going to make you stand out versus everyone else that's that's doing it? It could be the person that's doing the calling. They could be the most, they could be the friendliest person in the world, close all the deals that, that come through. Odds are they're not going to be that. You're not going to be that. So when you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, everybody's cold calling now. That's where the money's at. No, that's where the people that are telling you to do it, that's where their money is at because you're listening to them, but you're throwing away because those, those groups, they're not necessarily concerned with you closing a lot of deals because the better you get at something, the less you need them. They need you to go out there and be halfway successful so you continually come back to them and ask for new ideas. Pay them more money. That's how they make it. It's not because you're out there doing deals, learning how to do this. They need you to always come back. So they're only going to give you just enough to give you a limited amount of success, but keep you coming back so they can keep you making more money off of them. That's how the 10 times actually works. You have, to, you have to just give people pieces of things and, and never give them the full story. That's why I always say, go find a mentor that will take a vested interest in you. It's not that you've got to go out there and work for them or anything like that, but someone that will take you step by step in this business and show you what you're doing, that's going to lead to your success you're not going to have a lot of success if you go out and you're constantly paying for courses or you're constantly giving somebody money for half information you need a a structured step-by-step this is how i became successful this is what you need to do and you're not going to do everything i mean a, a mentor may have gone out years ago and just driven around like what the drive for dollars is now they may have just driven around and looked for boarded up houses wrote the address down and then had to manually go down to the courthouse and pull the address to see who lived there get their address you know and send them a letter or if they were local maybe go knock on the door you could do that years ago now unfortunately people don't like like others (laughs) knocking on their door when they don't know them so The structure part of what you're learning from that mentor is the most important thing because you're not necessarily learning all the ins and the outs of the marketing aspect of it, but you're learning how to structure a business, how to keep the doors open, what bills to pay, what to put back, those kind of things. That's going to be the most important thing because the deals will always be there. It's a matter of you finding them and investing the right way in yourself and your company to make sure that you can always find those deals because if you're sitting there and let's say that you're in a market you want to run TV ads, TV ads are expensive sure they get a lot of response if you do it the right way and have a presentable ad but are those the people that you really need to reach is that going to maximize your profit or are you in a market to where you only get two deals a month, but they all come from direct mail. Well, if you only get two deals a month, but you're making twenty five thousand a deal in all honesty, I would spend that couple of thousand dollars sending out direct mail and just live off of off of that when it slows down or in the process of trying to figure out something else see now you if you've got two deals at twenty five thousand a month, you've got fifty thousand coming in well if you're only you know if you only need 10,000 to survive on, you've got $40,000 every month to be able to sit there and go, okay, let me test out Facebook or let me test out Instagram, Google Ads, spend another five on that. You still have 45,000 in the bank that is there for a rainy day. And once you get that to where it gets consistent, and I always tell people, don't do this until after you've done it for two years because by then you're in a habit. Of running a business. So after <clears throat> after two years, that's when you can start buying. You can start holding yourself because you've built up a, enough of an est, a nest egg, you've got enough habits to where it's it's sustainable, it's consistent. Then you're not gonna have all of these months, three months where no deals come in, nothing closes, no revenue comes back in the office. It's going to be a consistent monthly occurrence because if, well, even if something doesn't come in from your typical marketing, you may have a seller that sold you the house, you know, two years ago when you first got in the business and say, oh, yeah, John helped me sell the business I mean, sell the house, you know, a couple years ago. He bought it for me. It was great working with him. Well, guess what? You just got one off of a referral that didn't cost you anything. So now you doubled that up. That's where you have to learn the reasons that you're treating people the right way is because a lot of these deals that you'll start getting to come in won't be of any additional cost to you. You will have spent money on that one time and then word of mouth or the way that you treated them, things like that, they'll refer a friend, a family member, somebody like that over there to you and now you've made money twice off of one deal. It's important to understand don't rush this it's a marathon as long as you stay calm you don't force deals with sellers or buyers you're kinda like that Hey, I am relaxed it doesn't matter as long as you do that with everyone that's involved in it you'll you'll have more opportunities to sell deals because some of these that wind up being a little tight if you're if you're easy to get along with with a buyer they're more likely to look at your deals when they're tight and let's say that you know you've got that that deal that you put on the contract for $120,000 but you're that you're that wholesaler that oh I got to have this and it's you know calling them every day every hour those you're annoying you're not going to get them to take a second look at that. But if you sit there and you're that laid back, calm kind of wholesaler that gives them a good product nine out of ten times, and then when you need a favor, you're going to be able to call that in. So in summary, do not get the fever. Understand that you are doing something, you're providing a service to people. You cannot close every deal that you come in contact with it's there's not enough time in the day, there's not enough people in the market buying them. Sometimes you have to let them go right then. If they come back, that's great. If they don't, that's great as well. But you kept your doors open because of the way you conducted yourself and you didn't burn any bridges with a seller or a buyer. So anytime you need that favor or you have a deal come back around, you're going to get it by the way you acted. So when somebody says you've got to get every house under contract, don't listen to them. That's not good business. You can't close every deal. You have to, you have to get to the point to where you know what your buyers are going to buy. Put those under contract. Those are your closable deals. If you have to go out there and search for a buyer, a lot of times you're not gonna close that. But if you turn into what I call as an order filler, because you know their criteria, you know what they buy, you know the areas, the style, bedroom, bathroom count, what kind of materials they like in it, do they like hardwoods or do they care about carpet? When you start filling their, ne- their needs, you will have more success. So instead of forcing the deals, getting the fever, just be the order filler. When something comes along that you know that you can sell, put it under contract and sell it. Then your marketing dollars and the roof over your head will be without worry because you know what you're selling is not necessarily a house, but you're selling yourself. Because that's all you sell in the first place anyway. Whether it be to a seller or a buyer, they're not necessarily buying a house from you. They're not selling their house to you. They trust you, your opinion, those kind of things, so they're going to listen to you. That's where all of these wholesalers that have been successful over the years, that's the reason. It's not because they have the best deals. It's because they're the easiest to get along with. So with that we're gonna we're gonna draw it to a close I hope uh, I hope everyone has uh, has enjoyed this and whatever you do do not get the fever do not force it let it come to you be smart about your business plan your business understand things are gonna gonna come up that you can't control roll with it just go with it let it let it happen and once it does It'll all get a little bit easier. You won't have near the stress, near the anxiety. And you, you actually give yourself a chance to be successful. I appreciate you listening to this episode. We'll, uh, we'll be back with another one here shortly.